how are you here on folks? I'm joined with Owen Sheehan here. There's a lot of ways. To, there's too many things to describe what you're at, Owen. Um, uh, it changes every year. You can call me whatever you want, I don't mind. <laughs> what would you call yourself? TV chef? Um, no, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be as kind to call myself as that, no. That, that's, what, that's, that's one of the strings. Um, I am, I, I, at the base of it all, I'm a home cook and um, food business owner, I suppose, food entrepreneur. Um, it branches out then into TV work, media work, so you can call me a TV chef if you wanted, uh, and food entrepreneur. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to get to, to wear a couple hats, um, and, and, and there's, there's more hats, I suppose, being worn as the years go on, but... I'm a I'm a, a home an avid home cook is what you can call me. That's uh, that's being very modest there. The first time I heard you and Haravia was on the Sarah Rose podcast. Um, oh great! Yeah, and I thought it was because I obviously didn't know you, and I just said I'll throw one on here, and yeah, I just was blown blown away by her and you really in the whole story, and I was only talking to a couple of students I have about how. Unintentionally, the podcast has kind of went in a direction where we talk about how people get to where they are and, you know, the different phases they go through to get where mm-hmm. they are, which they don't predict at all. And I know you've probably said this a million times without sounding like a broken record asking you, but like, can you give a small bit of background as you know, where you came from in terms of college and how your country munch mm-hmm. got started and everything? Because I thought it was unbelievable. I think it's I genuinely literally said it to one of my students, like they were kind of stressing about what, what they want to do. And I said, if you listen to any podcast, when people talk about where they are, it, it was never simple. And it was the same with yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, listen, it's, it's all well and good saying that, but I think you kind of have to go through that process to understand it fully. Um, to give you a brief background, I'm, I'm a qualified chemical and biochemical engineer. Um, I studied that in University of Limerick. I did my four years. I graduated, and, and I suppose I am a chemical and biochemical engineer by, by paper. What, and why did trade. you go into that with interest? Was it your own interest? Was it parents? Was it any other influence? It was, I suppose... No, it was two things really. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew I wanted to play rugby, and UL was a hub of monster time. So I was kind of, you know, looking back, I know my logic was if I go to UL, I'm probably at a better chance of being picked up. I was playing, I suppose, club rugby at a, a pretty high level, and I was, I suppose, in my own head, I was nearly in line for that to come for an opportunity to arise within the years in college. Um, I had been offered school school scholarships to play um, senior cup and whatnot. So I was kind of like, uh, Rand, I need to fill my time before I get picked up by somebody and it's all happy-go-lucky and I sign a contract and it's all it's all great. And I was good at engineering. I was decent at maths and I was good at chemistry. And I suppose there's a lot of, as I often go on tangents at this point because I went to my career guidance counsellor and I didn't really get much she was a lovely woman now. Not, not, it was nothing to do with her, but I didn't get, get much from it in terms of, she kind of looked at my results. She looked at what I was good at. And then she was kind of like, listen, these are the options in UL for, you know, a science-based engineering, just chemical engineering. And there was seeing me for other options. I was definitely leaning more towards sports science and physiotherapy. Um, I come from West Limerick, from a farm. Um, and 
with the, the relevance of that is that I think my father and, and my, my people around me were kind of pushing more towards the engineerings and the agri- agricultural sciences as opposed to the physiotherapy and the sports sciences purely based on like job um, availability when you graduated. Now, listen, there's, there's, there's jobs for everyone, but the likelihood of me getting a, a better job leaving college early or leaving college, you know, at sports year and in, into an engineering role as opposed to sports science was, was more prospects than that. So I kind of, I, do you know what I did? I Googled the salary of a chemical engineer. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's one of the like third highest paid jobs you can get is, is, a, is a high, high paid uh, chemical engineer because there's a lot of, there's a lot of risk involved in safety features um so i was like listen that's that's fucking that's mint uh i'll just do that i'll get a good salary and i'll play ball uh and it just didn't go that way um my my best friend the exact same thought process he did chemical engineering with me we said we got you well together we lived together we had a bit of crack i'd say within two weeks of the course we kind of both knew this wasn't what we thought it would be there was a lot of physics there was a lot of mathematics and i kind of i was never bad at the course uh, I did quite well, you know. I, I got a two-one in the end, um, and I I had I had a really good QCA up until a point where I knew I wasn't going to be a chemical engineer for the rest of my life. I put it that way. Um, so I was well able to do it. Uh, what I, point I was that? Was that third year? The lead, or, final year? It was. It was third year coming into fourth year. Yeah. Um, so what, I was. What was, I was the doing all that. There? I had started cooking my own meals. Um, and that was the basis for the business. And it was never an intention. I've never did a cookery course. I've never did a business course. Um, these are completely oblivious to me. I was just prepping my own meals for convenience. Um, I was training I think, twice a day at the time. And I just needed, uh, I suppose, a better structure on my nutrition. And I just started prepping my own meals. And a buddy came to me and he said, would I prep these meals for him as well? He was trying to lose a little bit of weight. And I became known as the fellow that was cooking his meals. And I lost a quite, a quite a bit of weight in that first year of college purely down to structured eating um you know i wasn't binging on foods i go home i wasn't having huge dinners i was having you know pre-portioned packed meals and i would just put up an instagram or snapchat at the time and i was just saying this is what i'm eating today and a buddy what, text so, me what sort of meals were they were they were they fancy ones at this age or were they just a bit of chicken and rice with, with sauce and... fancy fancy is the <laughs> furthest thing from it it would have been chicken rice broccoli a lot of them a, a bolognese I then, you know, became very culinary uh, accustomed to chili and carne and, and curries, stir fries. And were you cooking at home? Like, let's say when you were in leaving, sir, would you be cooking at home? Nah, cooking would be too would be too kind. I was putting <laughs> like Donegal catch into the oven or oven pizzas into the oven. My mm-hmm. mother was a great cook. I probably could cook. I put it to you. And like, I do remember I used, to, like, I used to eat obnoxiously large volumes of food, like pasta, two fillets of salmon, veg, all this stuff. Just massive. I was a prop in rugby. So I, for me, it was nice. just get weight on, be big, eat as much as you can. I was expending a lot of energy. Um, so that the business came in college is when I sold five dinners to my buddy for a tenner a piece, made 50 quid. I was like, this is mint. Uh, his buddy in work saw him, he came to me, he said he'd do the same. I sold 10 dinners a week after I made 100 quid. And it was so simple to me. And it's this kind of thing of I'm, I'm in college like six, seven hours a day doing chemical engineering. I have no idea what's going on there. But I'm actually making 100 quid cooking 10 dinners that I really enjoyed. So I think like a light bulb just switched in my head. And I was like, this, like, I wonder could I like do more of these? So put up an Instagram story being like, I saw a few dinners a while ago. If anyone wants a few dinners, give me a shout. 
got like two people messaged me saying, yeah, I'll take I'll take uh, three off you for the week. So another six. So it generally started like five, 10, 15, 20. And I hadn't a clue what I was doing. I was just, you know, cooking mad, large volumes of food, YouTube and recipes, packs and cooking. But I loved it. And the more I enjoyed that, the less I enjoyed college. You know, it yeah. was real. It was a massive, you know, war of attrition there in my in, internally I suppose I, I had to give up a lot of my time to study a degree I wasn't enjoying and then use all my outside of college time to grow a business unintentionally so because we can skip forward through college where I, I started that and I was growing I suppose the customer base and I suppose I, I put far more focus into growing a brand uh, on Instagram or on social media I, my idea was that I want to be known as the food guy so people are, you know, stuck for a recipe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got what I wanted. Um, if people are stuck for a recipe or they want to food or if they thought about food, I want them to think of me. So I just bombarded social media, recipes every day, cooking demos, YouTube videos, everything for about, I think, a year and a half straight posted every day. Um, and just, you know, cultivated an audience quite organically. You know, there was no... Nowadays, there's marketing strategies and there's paid adverts. Back then, there was nothing. It was literally just talking to your camera um, and being authentic, and, and people buy into that. So, Fortier came. I had the basis of a business. Um, it was called the Fit Kitchen when I started, and I changed the country munch. I didn't like the word fit in it, fitness, because I didn't want it to be pigeonholed as a fitness brand. So I changed the country munch with like a country wholesome element to it and munch around the lunch. So my idea was that people ask what's for lunch, country munch came off the tongue. Uh, and that was generally, people ask, you know, was it hard to pick a name? I thought of that once. I was like, yeah, done. That'll do. Yeah, ramming it from there. I was like, even, you know, the alliteration alone might sell a few meals. Um, and graduated, got my degree, but... During that time, I had the safety in the college, so I, I worked very hard to, I suppose, be able to graduate and stand on my own two feet in. I was, I suppose, I was afraid I'd have to find a job after college to try and support the business, and it would pull away time. Um, but I didn't need to. I worked, worked an awful lot in fourth year, built up my customer base, um, bought a kitchen, uh, kitted it out in an industrial kitchen in Limerick, and... Like I was bluffing a lot of it, if I'm to be honest. You know, I, I was. We were getting these catering, con, catering gigs with like corporates, and I sold them the dream. You know, I sold them. Oh, I'm this, you know, wellness catering company doing all healthy food. It was literally just me cooking at home from my mother's kitchen. Um, I stepped over a lot of red tape in the early days. You know, to get a foot in the door in places, and it's it just rolled from there. And uh, I suppose the important point for me was putting so much emphasis on my brand gave me a separate platform as as well as an identity as own she in the brand as opposed to country much. And I was always very, um, I was always very strong in keeping them separate. I didn't want to integrate both of them because, you know, for me, I, I'm the selling point really. I'm, I'm the salesperson. I'm the person on TV and doing all these demos and, and Instagram stuff and whatnot. And country Munch is just a, an auxiliary to that. That's just a machine that's turning and, and churning out traffic. Um, whereas if you integrate them together, I suppose for me, it was a safety net. If country Munch fails, at least I have my own brand to fall back on. Um, and my own brand, as well as cultivated to its own business now, you know, which, which brand deals and, 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 cooking demos and corporate demos and TV and all that kind of that jazz and that nice 
elusive world of media. Um, but it's then, you know, very organically from those early days of making content, practicing talking on camera. I made YouTube videos for four years before I ever um, went to TV. So I was really comfortable on camera talking. Um, that was one of my points I was going to ask about uh, talking in front of people and public speaking because obviously it's, mm. you know, number one fear. I was watching a couple of the YouTube videos and yeah. is that just something you absolutely loved? Like just wanted, was, or was that part of just trying to get the face out there? I remember seeing a, um, like a series of you moving to Malta and they're more vlogs. They're kind of not much to do with food. Do you always want to get the face mm. out there? Was it natural enough or did you have to really work on it? Um, it was both. I think it was natural to the degree. My mother often references like when I was a young, young, small toddler, like I still was, an entertainer like I love talking any cameras there I was I was you know always wanted to be in front of camera talking on camera so that element came natural and then you know the only forceful part was the consistency I forced myself to be consistent making the videos was enjoyable for me um, I love the editing process I love the creative process the the hardest part of all is always is consistency you know it's great doing it once but if you can do it seven days a week for a year um, or four days a week or five days a week, whatever it may be. But so, you know, I, I'm lucky in the sense where talking came naturally. Um, and the gift of the gab is kind of given and, and cultivated, but you get a head start if you enjoy it. And I think the biggest thing for me was I was really passionate, passionate about what I was talking about and I was quite well versed in it. Um, so, you know, I always drew up the comparisons of, when people ask you, how you, how do you speak so comfortably on, on, on TV or on camera? How do I speak so comfortably on camera? Is that I know what I'm talking about inside out. I've done it for years now. If I was to talk about chemical engineering, I'd be a stuttering mess. Um, so did you ever work any about, day in, uh, as a chemical engineer? No, not one day. I, I did. I did. I did placement in Malta. That's why I went to Malta. All oh, right. I okay. was. I was a chemical engineer in Malta. Uh, no, that's that was my third year. Um, and I, 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 that was a hugely beneficial year for me. I left Ireland for eight months and kind of just isolated myself and just really dug deep into the business and, and practice talking on camera, did video blogs, um, wrote an awful lot for a blog. I think I really kind of cultivated my audience over there. Um, just because I was so isolated, I was away from, from everyone. So I had so much time in my hands. And, what was happening with Country Munch at the time while you were in Malta or who was running it? It was just, it was put on hold. No, oh, okay. there's no cooking being done at all. Um, and it was scary, I suppose, to the point where you, you get it to a certain level, you know, where you're doing maybe 30, 40 dinners a week and it's nice, it'll cash flow. But then you kind of texting all your clients being like, listen, I'm moving to Malta next week. Um, I hope you're still there in September when I come home. So... Yeah, that was daunting, but there was a lot, like, I suppose for me, there was a lot of work to be done on what does it actually look like? Because when I when you start a business like that, every week it takes a different form. You know, we do one catering event, and now we're a catering company. We're doing corporate catering, and now we take on two private clients, and now we're a private meal prep company for CEOs. And then another week, we get another opportunity, and now we become this. So we were constantly appeasing everybody. So I kind of needed to go away and really tear it apart to be right. This is what we're doing. And I had eight months to work in it, make business plans, all the stuff. So when I came home then, it was fairly, I, I hit the ground running hard in fourth year. I knew what I wanted, knew what, what I had to do. 
and and I was just fairly comfortable with giving it a good go. I was I was I was confident that I'd get my degree, so I had a backup plan, and I was fairly confident in my own skills that I could give it a good go. And I always had this just this idea that like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, worst that happened, I I was I would have been twenty one years old with a failed business venture, learned an awful lot, and still had a degree. I had a degree in my belt, so I had nothing to lose ever. I still don't. I still have that attitude. Like I have nothing to lose. Um, Serious, especially um, in this day and age. Just on the the public speaking, obviously you had to, at some point, you had to be like your first appearance on TV. Even at that point, were you comfortable enough, or what was that like? Yeah, I was comfortable. Obviously, there's there's nerves. The live element is is nerve wracking. Especially with cooking, like, you know, it could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I suppose, I suppose knowing what I know now, there's so much prep done in advance, it's hard for it to go mm. wrong. Um, You know, those first Here's couple of Here's one I made earlier. Here's one I made earlier. It's a famous quote. Like, and that is, you know, that is the saving grace in that all I'm doing in, on TV is filling a five or six minute segment until I see the one minute mark with one minute left and I pull out one that I know is perfect. So no one tastes the food that I cook on TV. Um, you know, I, I might I might not even be adding in the right ingredients on TV. You have no idea. You're just seeing me pop in bits and pieces. I'm telling you what to do. And that's why I think it's so important. I think people miss that is that cooking in particular, you need to be a good communicator um, because no one tastes my food and you can't visually see it or smell it. So you're taking my word for it that this is, how I make a curry that it should be this temperature, it should be this long, it should be this color. So being able to communicate that and portray that is is a really beneficial way of uh, of approaching those segments. So you know, for me, always uh, how good can I communicate a recipe, and, and that for the viewer then is you need to be able to watch me cook and be like, that looks really easy. Uh, he explained it really well. I could probably make that myself, and then you go and make that as opposed to me being doing a really high fluting dish with ingredients you can't pronounce, uh, equipment you don't have, um, doing this really fancy stuff that have no real connection to general population. Me doing a crispy duck and orange sauce or me doing a bolognese. If I do a bolognese, I'll get 10 times more engagement and people trying the recipe, recirculating it and growing my brand as opposed to being a fancy show-off chef and cooking nice food, but... You're just taking my word for it at the end of the day. So I, the live element, you you learn to become comfortable on it. Um, but I'd done so much public speaking at that point. I knew I was, I knew I could talk at length about food. And I just told myself, don't curse or don't incriminate, don't incriminate <laughs> yourself. They were my two things I always tell myself. Uh, how do, how do you keep upskilling? So you're on about, you know, obviously you can do the basics, but and you have to have a wealth of knowledge and even the vocabulary and how you describe it. How do you upskill? Mm. Is it a lot of that yourself and learning yourself? Or would you go and, I don't know, go to cookery classes and learn off other people? Um, yeah, I suppose it's it's a personal thing where you can, you can absolutely, you know, um, source classes or, or, or like we're so lucky now where social media is at our fingertips, you know, you're, you're constantly watching, I suppose the higher up levels and what they're doing and the, the trends they're sticking on. No new foods are being um, created, you know, new recipes can be created for sure, but it's just a blend. Usually recipes are 
you know, fairly blueprinted. And I think that's why my engineering kind of kicks in a small bit because like chemical engineering and cooking are fairly similar. You know, you're giving a, <laughs> Never you're giving, hear that one, but <laughs> you're given a recipe when you're in a chemistry lab and you have to add 25 grams of sodium bicarbonate and add 300 mils of water and start and heat it for 40 minutes at, at 300 degrees. And in the kitchen, you're doing the same. You're adding bits and pieces and you're cooking them. You can't lick the spoon in the chemistry lab. <laughs> and that was always the joke in cooking them was, but that mindset and that skill, I suppose, the attribute of following a recipe, um, you know, that varies from person to person. It, it came quite naturally to me from a background in, in engineering. But to answer that question, upskilling, I suppose, comes from, from myself, I suppose, proactively watching um, people above me, um, the likes of like Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay or not so much watching what they're cooking, but what what trends are they following? Like Jamie Oliver got, went very heavy on vegetarian stuff in the last few years. So, you know, he's really playing into the vegetarian market and a huge growing market in the UK. Um, you know, Ramsey very much doubled down on, on TV shows, food shows, the Hell's Kitchen, all that kind of stuff. So you're kind of just watching what everyone's doing and you can kind of gauge then from a business perspective, you know, where, where's their audience uh, and what's, what's being perceived quite well there. So every chef, I suppose, has their own outlet. Mine has always been branded as I'm the, I'm the only non, one of the only non Dublin chefs on the show. So I'm the countryside element and it's very much simple basics, general population, cooking, feeding the family, um, as opposed to the chefs there that are head chefs in restaurants that are doing these quite high flutant extravagant dishes, which I don't do and I never do. And I have my eyes, they have their audience and it's great. You know, everyone kind of gets a bit of everything there. So you, you, you find your own niche and mm. then that's one of the hardest things about the job is genuinely just trying to continually keep creating content without, you know, there's only so many recipes you can do before you start, have to go back, start redoing other ones or, you know, it's just changing a team instead of chocolate brownies, white chocolate brownies, or yeah. instead of high protein. Caramel oats. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's different. There's different ways of just fine tuning it, I suppose. Yeah, that was literally one of the questions. How how do you stand out? Because that's nowadays, as you said, with Instagram, it's so easy to be putting up recipes, but it's so hard to yeah. stand out. Why would you, someone follow one person, not the other? So I suppose you were lucky that you had the country munch kind of already the mm. kind of brand, and as you said, the YouTube we all accumulates and all came together to make the own she and i suppose yeah i suppose it's 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 a strange one to say it but it worked because i people like me uh, and i was quite authentic and and transparent i think it was a big thing you know i was very transparent in those early early day videos in that you know it was very much what you saw is what you get i often burn stuff and i put up in my stories like i made a absolute balls of this like i broke glassware on TV before it dropped eggs on TV. It was very relatable. Uh, and people kind of knew it. I wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. Like I was just genuinely, genuinely trying to cook something. Um, so I think, you know, especially in a day and age now where it's such a saturated market, having a kind of standout personality and whatever that looks like um, isn't to be all and end all, but it's important. Uh, and then it's, it's your way of communicating, I think is really important. Because, like I said, no one is recreating the wheel or reinventing the wheels. So I have chicken curry. Dawn Skeen cooks chicken curry. Gordon Ramsay cooks chicken curry. So what would make you pick either three of them? It might be how it visually looks. It might be 
I explain it easier, it might be that Don Skihans has an easier step-by-step manual. Um, there's loads of different, different, I suppose, things you look at. Um, so it's a weird one, yeah. You kind of have to find your own voice. Yeah, and you find your own voice got you on stage with the two Johnnies. I'd say that most, I've seen the post of, the mm. picture was unbelievable in the like community hall, you know what I mean? Because you could see, yeah, yeah. like as good of a setup it was, just even your, yourself, the way you looked, you look so young there compared to when you're on stage and you know, it, it was just, just show the journey like, you know, from mm. a couple of old ones watching you to 10,000 people, like what, what was that like? That must have been maybe the highlight of the career. Uh, it's definitely up there yeah for sure it was it was very surreal um and like i suppose you know you're you're just you just you have to appreciate them those moments when they come you know i'm just lucky i got a big i got the call to do that segment with them and and i fitted the the brief you know that was all it was they needed someone to help them um bone roll a turkey and um yeah it's it's mad it's it's hard to I suppose step back and look at it, especially when you've been in it for so long. Um, I can clearly see the progression, you know, even just from audiences starting in those. That I I remember that that first demo, you know, I I say I remember word for word. I remember what I cooked. I remember packing the ingredients going down. All of the women were were local. It was a local women's club, so they all knew me since I was probably three years old. Like so, I was trying to do a food cooking demo, and they're pinching my cheeks like I'm a <laughs> six year old. Um. But that was, I mean, that was the, a building block for me. That was the first ever cooking demo. Um, you didn't mind because you I, knew you wanted to go somewhere with it. So even if there was five or ten yeah, people, you had yeah. the motivation. And you know, it's like anything else. Like I kind of, I saw somebody else doing that, and I was like, "She's that's a really good idea." I, was like, I bet you I could do that. And then I just got the opportunity, and I was like, "Yeah, go on, I'll do it, blow it." And, and like everything, you know, you use that and you leverage that to get another one, and. The more you do that, then the the more you hone your your skill and your craft. But uh, like, it's it's nearly it's wrong to compare that and and the tree arena because there's just no comparison to the roar. Now, granted, I didn't cook on the tree arena. I was only on stage just chatting with a microphone, um, and there's no real planning or training for that. You can't do anything in advance. You just have to. I suppose just boys are very natural there. as well. Like they make a feel. Ah, yeah, home. yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and absolutely. That, that crowd is behind you as well. Ten, it's not like ten thousand people are sitting there; they don't know you, and they're just judging you. Like, if you're on stage, they know you're a bit of crack. They're kind of behind you already. It's easy ten thousand people will ever do it. I'd say. Oh, I, I, I said it afterwards. Like, I was like, if I ever do, please God, get an opportunity to get in front of ten thousand people again. Like, it'll be hard to replicate that because. The, the Johnny's demographic and my demographic are quite similar. Like it's countryside, it's rural, it's age demographic is quite similar. So I suppose I'm lucky that probably a good portion knew who I was or um, they would have seen me at some point somewhere else. And then, you know, to get that coverage in on stage like that is, is you couldn't pay for that kind of, that kind of exposure. Yeah. Did, that, um, did you see a big so, increase in the goal, exposure yeah. after that? Did you? Um, you would. Yeah, you would. Even just word of mouth, you know, like people like that, like the Instagram posts, all that kind of stuff. People, it, 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 I suppose when you're doing this for so long, people just lose the perspective of the beginning. You be, they become very comfortable with that's on Sheen. He works on TV as opposed to, yeah. so, oh, that's a young guy from West Limerick that does cooking demos for na- national schools. Um, that's still you so in your nice. head, like. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I, I know the trajectory, whereas people might only know me from three years onwards, so they have no idea of the perspective or the journey prior to that. Um, so that's what I told yeah, from when I was listening to Sarah Rose, like, because mm. she was describing, like, did you go to school together? Did I hear that? And, are we we are school? from the same area. We didn't go to school area, together. We sorry. were in college. We were in, she was, she was in a friend group in UL, I suppose. We were in the same friend group. And it's, you know, it seemed very, I suppose I kind of had the both perspective, not that I even, you know, like I know you or something. It's, you know, when you hear someone on a podcast, you kind of get to know the background. And then yeah. when I'd see uh, you literally on TV and the three arena, it's like, oh, that's my idea. That's that fella from West Limerick that started that cooking, uh, you know, yeah. c- cooking company by himself. Like it's, it's actually, a, you're a bit more involved with the person when you hear the background because Absolutely. you know where they came from and how it's not like, or oh, he just fell there, he knows someone, you know, they worked for it. And that's why it's so important to, to tell that story. Like I, anyone, and I've said it for years, like anyone starting a blog or, or starting to a brand, it's so important to be transparent and give that insight because like, like exactly that reason, you, you bring people along. You know, people are celebrating with you. Um, there's, you know, the best example is there's still a woman that was in the audience in that first demo. Uh, and she comments on every Facebook post I ever post. Uh, and she's amazing. But, you know, they are nearly tied to you now because they were there in the early days. They saw you when you were, you know, only 17. They were cooking them on. Now they're watching you progress and progress. And that brings, I suppose, a, a kind of an element of, of joy as well and excitement and and accomplishment. Maybe not much so, but, you know, they, they certainly... You know, people are, are of that caliber are very good to show support. And, and of course, yeah, they it. feel like they've been, you know, somewhat part of the success as to why you've been successful. You know, I mean, they've been part of it. They were there to support you at the start, so they they kind of so, feel rewarded yeah. if you do well. They're like, well, I was at his first. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I don't know if it was beneficial or not. I suppose it depends on what type of type of area you're in but what was the pandemic like for you did it help country munch what did you focus on did you was it kind of like a malta time era where you kind of focused on the business um it was a couple of different things i suppose it, it took different tangents as as it went on i suppose not knowing you know when you're not given the duration you can't really forecast anything um initially you know it was quite bad in that the we would have been stocking a lot of outlets in Limerick. So fridges and gyms and cafes uh, or stocking food there. So gyms, cafes, everything closed. So our, our outlets closed initially and contracts with teams and whatnot. If we had them at the time, sports stopped. So we weren't that stopped. So it kind of was a case of, you know, wake up on a Monday or Tuesday morning and, and your business kind of closed. So in a way, I kind of took, I took a bit of time, I took maybe four weeks, I'd say, in that initial very heavy lockdown, like on the 2K radius, I went home to West Limerick and I hadn't really taken a foot off the gas in a long time. So I, I, I oddly enjoyed it a bit. It was the first bit of time I had to not wake up and go straight to work or, you know, continuously be proactive in, in, in a business. I kind of just relaxed for the month, I'd say. And then I got the itch and I kind of knew I was this, is great, but this won't last. I was like, I'm just not able to just sit at home and and be around the farm and drive motorbikes and you know relax for a certain period of time. So that ran its course, and then I I'd say to be honest, we just started getting more inquiries about um we started operating then as an emergency service. So 
um, ready-made meals for nursing homes. We did a small bit with the hospitals, with homeless shelters, um, or with elderly people uh, living at home. So we, we became an essential service. So we were able to open back up. Now, when I say we, it was just, I would just go back in and, and I would cook myself. Um, prior to that, we would have had, you know, two full-time chefs and, and a media person and whatnot. So it very much scaled back. Um, we opened up our online store and we were taking online orders for domestic homes um, being, um, I suppose, we were allowed to offer a service now. So the online store grew during that time which is mad, you know, our orders were just going through the roof for maybe a three or four week period when it was really heavy lockdowns. People couldn't go to supermarkets, whatnot. We offered a really handy service there. And then I got an email asking me to do a virtual cooking demo. And I was very, I was very opposed to it. And I'll admit that initially, like I just, I didn't think it would work. Cooking for me, especially me, it's very visual. I talk in my hands um a lot of it like that is it's a communication element where i'm there in the room and i'm talking to you and i can show you how to do it and you can taste the food you can smell the food so it kind of went against everything you'd imagine a cooking demo would have um you're watching me through a phone but we did one or two um, and who organized that for, or who was it for was it local or was it, it was for it was for some corporate corporate company i i can't i can't remember who i think it was um some big corporate in shannon shannon uh out near shannon airport a big, I suppose, American corporate. Um, I would have done a lot of them prior to the pandemic. You know, I go in for a corporate corporate wellness day and I do a cooking demo for all the employees and we do like lunch options and whatnot. So it got to a point then and I kind of, I figured it out through, um, I suppose, people inquiring. Corporates needed something for employee wellness and employee welfare during the pandemic and they couldn't offer like sports and social days they couldn't go out they couldn't go anywhere everyone was from home so they were they were looking for events to do virtually to keep staff morale high basically um a very kind of americanized approach to things and you know i did one or two and i was like geez this is working really really well for me personally it was the most efficient process in the world i bring in my camera and a tripod i press record in my kitchen in uh, at home, and I do a full cook- cooking demo for my house. I don't have to travel anywhere. Usually, I'm I'm in Dublin. It's a full day. I'm setting up a stall, and it was like an hour on the on the dot, record, finish, over. You're still at home. Your job is done, uh, and the money is good. So I was like, "Geez, this is a dream." So we we doubled down on that, and we built this kind of makeshift studio, uh, just two plywall walls, wallpapers, uh, buttered into an L shape put a cooker there, had our cameras facing in, so it looked like I was in a nice fancy kitchen. And we just started kind of really soft launching these uh, online cookery demos for corporates and for corporate wellness. And it just took off over COVID. So the physical cooking and country munch died on an awful lot. Um, we were doing maybe a day a week cooking. So it was tipping over. Uh, I wasn't too worried. You know, we were quite lucky. We got like rent breaks. We got uh, repayment breaks from banks during the COVID. All businesses would have got that. So the pressure was off a small bit in terms of the hardcore business of Country Munch. And I just started doing cooking demos. And I was doing, I would say, an average of four a week. I did seven in one week. And I think I did 120 in that year of 2021. It was just nuts. Um, I, I, I think I spent 50 euro to build that plywood set studio. Um, 
so I like that. It was, and it was always a bit of crack. I was just bored, stiff, and I was like, well, I might as well like I'm at nothing, and at least I can be cooking. And I, and like from that, you know, you're building a huge base then of of corporate in particular, you know, corporate clients, and and, and they're very recurring things. If it does, if it works well once, they bring it back next year again. Um, Are you putting a lot of them videos on YouTube as well? No, the, the demonstrations right. come from them, no. No, no, no. So it was, it was very. A lot of them weren't even recorded. It was just a live, okay, uh, link. And but the the key here and why it works so well is that everyone was at home in their own kitchen with their own utensils. So how we worked it was like if the demo was on a Wednesday on Monday, I'd send out a shopping list for all employees. Nice. They'd be able to get their shopping ingredients. They'd have all the recipes. So then Wednesday night, six o'clock. They all log on via Zoom, exact same as we are now. They're all set up in their kitchens. There's kids running around the place. Half of them, their cameras are upside down or they're facing front forward. So you're like, like Sheila, would you mind turning your camera around? Like, Mark, would you mind uh, going on mute? I can hear a dog barking in the background. <laughs> it, was, it was very raw, uh, but it worked so well. Uh, and it's, I, I, I had worked in a cookery school prior to that. And that's, cookery school is great crack. And people are at their own stations and they're cooking. But there's something about cooking in the comfort of your own home. Uh, you know you know your cooker. You know your knives. You know your chopping board. You know where everything is. If I ask you to get paprika, you know where you're going. Um, so there was this nice kind of homey element. It wasn't too invasive. I'm not physically there. I'm not tasting your food. So pressure is off. Uh, you can turn your camera off if you want, even. You know, you know, it was usually sometimes it would be 50-50. People have their cameras on. People have their cameras off. And they just come out to ask a question. So it was, it was for at the time it was perfect, uh, and it worked really well. It was really efficient for us, and I loved it. Uh, so that twenty twenty one was a year of cook, cooking demos for me. Very good. Did you when you were doing them in live? Was it just you on the stage and everyone watching it, or was it kind of set up that they're doing it themselves as well? When you're inside, it varies. The... It varies, yeah. So usually I'm on a stage and they're watching. Uh, it's rare. I, we have one cookery school. I worked in a cookery school and that had the option for people to break into twos and trees and, and we had 12 workstations. So you're getting physical, hands-on, um, practical um, use then. A couple of home ec um, classrooms I've done before with schools. Kids can, can go back to their cookers and, and cook as well. Usually, I'd say 80% of them are just watching me cook. Uh, and, you know, like that, there's a certain element there where you know, you have to just appreciate a person just watching someone cook. They're not cooking. They're not necessarily even tasting it. They can smell it maybe. So I suppose it's my job then to make that as easy and as as uh, accessible as possible. Then, you know, my job isn't just cook a curry. It's how can I cook a curry without people physically doing it with me to keep them engaged, especially 12-year-olds. You know, how do you keep yeah. a 12-year-old engaged? And it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of humor. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I should, I should be asking you. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of different elements when you're cooking. The, the demos vary depending on the demographic. You can see how the demo work perfectly if they're at home, as you said, with all their stuff. And then the, then once they do it once, they kind of have this that light bulb moment saying, I can do this again. And it's so manageable. And they realize how easy this can be. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have a business brain. You know, every time there's been nearly an issue or an opportunity, you've taken it. You said you had a farm. Does is your family are they into business or are they mainly farming? Farming? Do you have any input in the farming, or was business just come naturally, or is there any business in the family? 
Um, I suppose there's not really no. It's it's not a it's not a, a business ran farm. It's it's a for a part time farmer. Um, and you know we we buy and sell cattle, but not from a you know especially with farming. It's it's it's, it's quite it's quite um uneconomical. Like so, it certainly isn't a bustling business. But um, I, I don't really know. I, I must have some some entrepreneurial um spirit in me. Um, yeah, I would have, I'd have uncles and stuff that own businesses, and and us as most of my brothers were were trades, and you know most of my apart from the couple of well, I suppose the uncles that are business owners are tradesmen too. So I, I suppose, do you know what? I come from hardworking people uh, is what I would attribute my home. It's like you know, given a good work ethic, given nothing for nothing really. Like you know, you 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 work for everything, um. But even like when I was in school is maybe like 15 or 16 now again do as i say not as i do i i was making fake ids and selling them uh <laughs> and then like a year after that i bought 25 turkeys and i fattened them and sold them at christmas time so oh, i think i was i was always trying to make money and never, at that time it was never there's a business here i was just trying to think how can i make a few extra quid probably to go drinking with the lads or <laughs> bush drinking i was or, gonna ask because for anything specific but it, of yeah, course, that's what it's know, for at sixteen. It, it wasn't. It was yeah, exactly. At sixteen years old, you're you're not certainly not planning a mortgage. Like you're no. simply just, I need a few extra quid for the summertime. So I suppose in hindsight, when you look back, there's always like that ident- identifying a certain money making venture, be it selling turkeys for Christmas, selling fake IDs in school, uh, selling dinners when I went to college. So all these things accumulate over time. You learn enough to doing all of them uh and then i suppose just having a good work ethic um and good i suppose more encompassing coming from usually typically you know from a farming background very hardworking parents um that's just instilled in you so there was a lot of good attributes given to me um that i suppose i utilized then to to make the best of that's it you have to have to put it in action as well it can be all there for you mm, we can absolutely yeah it. yeah absolutely yeah. You were playing. You were you're on about your rugby career. That was the main sport you did. I know mm-hmm. you were described about how you tried to get in, like you know into the bodybuilding and lose serious fat. Yeah. What's the What's the main sport at the minute? Are you? Uh, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for the last probably four years. That is that's that'll be my main my main sport now. Um, I'm it's getting it's, it's gotten extremely popular lately hasn't yeah. it, in Ireland what, oh, why huge, I'm literally going yeah. to be first my first training session tomorrow night and I can't wait but there's there must be something about it that keeps people hooked what is it there there has yeah and like I'm lucky I actually got in before that wave I started I think I was still in college um and it actually I actually it actually stems from the food business that I was one of my best friends in college and still a great friend to this day John Mitchell He's a, he is an MMA fighter from Cork. Uh, he was a chemical engineer also. He dropped out uh, to pursue fighting. Um, he studied a few other bits and pieces. Never, John was born to be a fighter. Um, even in college, I can testify for that. <laughs> so he finished after first year, he dropped out. and He might have another course in CIT, but he was basically full-time training. But he always said to me, he was like, you should do jiu-jitsu. He was like, "It's you are so suited to it. Um, be it just from I think there's this level of like um, intelligence needed where it's, it's like a chess match but there's also physical attributes so my way of thinking would, would have, he knew it would suit me and I put it off for ages 
and he actually started in Limerick and I didn't bother starting with him maybe two years later like what you're doing tomorrow I did an introductory six week uh, class and I'd love to get the date I assume it was 2017 and I just have been I've been doing it periodically I did I suppose two and a half years um, of very good training there and I did my ACL I went back in senior football then during COVID and I I I strained my ACL and then MCL a year and a half ago so I was out for about a year a year and a half of jiu-jitsu so I'm only back that in during jiu-jitsu or the football? no playing football yeah playing football ironic jiu-jitsu enough like you know during COVID. if you oh, were talking man. to the lay person they'd say oh that, that's fighting that'll get you hurt and then you never, do the football I've like. never, never had a bad injury in jiu-jitsu I, I, again it's, it's, there's a stigma around that and that you know I'm not going to go in because I don't want to break my elbows or break my heels but uh, no, any injury I've ever had have been from rugby or, or football. Um, but yeah, just you stopped during COVID, there was no uh, contact sports and football was the only thing being just starting back up again. So that I just texted lads and this I'll go back training just to stay fit in them at least. Mm. And we actually went up from intermediate to senior. So I was playing senior football then for a year. Um, what club is that? Uh, Kalema Palace Kenry. Right, very good. Out in, out in, out in West Limerick. So, um, I'm back into jiu-jitsu now, but that will be that's my main my my focus now is I I'm hoping to compete a good bit this year in jiu-jitsu and um, yeah have you competed there, before so. is it mainly training or would yeah. you want to like let's say amateur no, competitions I, I, and then I competed twice in that was that two year block where I was training an awful lot um competed once in Cork and I competed once in Dublin and then I, it just happened COVID came and and things were postponed a good bit so. I'm I'm only back in the door maybe four six months and I'm hoping to do my first competition now in March. But yeah, like that, I suppose I've always I've always needed an outlet, and I think I credit a lot of like, you know, actually sorry to to touch before I touch on that, that the reason jiu-jitsu is so is so prominent now. I think there's a huge push, especially Americanized, in mental health and mental health well-being, and jiu-jitsu seems to be this really good escape where it's, it's very much tactical and you're using a lot of, um, you know, intuition and movements, but it's very physical and it's a very exercise demanding sport as well. But um, I, I think there's a far more push towards that now. Um, and, and, and it's been really, obviously the UFC now has become a huge sport. You know, I think people are really reading into that too. And Jiu-Jitsu is kind of the best case scenario because it's not contact. So you're not getting kicked or punched in the face. So, from a from a CTE point of view, you know it's the safest of, of all. I, I might be in the ball of martial arts. Yeah, a lot of um, people think it's but, a humbling sport because you could be the best footballer, the strongest in the gym. And you come in and someone can tap you out in thirty seconds, and you're kind of thinking, Jesus Christ, this is just a whole think, new realm for me. I think that's why it works so well for me. Um, because when I started it, and I would have been like, I I don't I, I don't want to brand rugby as big ego, but I would. I suppose I would have been decent at every sport that I would have played prior to that. So I came in there and it was the, it's the most humbling sport in the world. It, but without a doubt, like I, I would go in and there's girls in there that are 50 kilos that would make me tap, you know, within 30 seconds. Um, and you, it's hard to comprehend that until you roll with someone and, and you experience it. And it, I, I think there was like maybe 30 of us in that intermediate, uh, or sorry, beginner course, six week course. I think two of us progressed on everyone else couldn't it's a it's it i think the dropout rate is really high because people just cannot uh get over that element of i remember john that my mma friend taught me like he's like you need to be a nail for the first six months and just get hammered and you just keep getting hammered and you don't win anything and then eventually 
it starts to click a small bit and you get better defending yourself. And then after that, then you get a little bit better and you start to learn a few attacks. But I found it so beneficial because I suppose the easiest way to describe it is that I can have a really busy or stressful day in work and I'm coming into jiu-jitsu and you just can't think about anything else but jiu-jitsu when you're in there because someone's on your back trying to choke you. <laughs> so I can't, I can't be in the middle of a role thinking, I wonder what that email is going to respond to now when there's someone trying to physically put me unconscious or break my limbs. So for me, I always got like an hour or hour and a half of pure mental headspace, um, putting all my energy and, and emotion into a completely different avenue than business. And I would come out really refreshed and recharged. And oftentimes I go in with an issue and I come out with a solution or I might even come up with a solution, but I come out with some comfort in that it's not as big of a deal as I thought it was. Um, and I think that the sport has been that outlet for me always anyway. You know, I've, I've always tend to, whether it was rugby, I made a quite a quick transition to bodybuilding and from bodybuilding made a quick, pretty quick transition to jiu-jitsu um, to football last year and now back to jiu-jitsu again. So I need, I suppose, I need an outlet. Um, that's my my self-care and my mental health is very much uh, dependent on physical exercise um that's probably that's the only thing that, should be. yeah 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 big time absolutely and the beauty of that you know is that sports then there's this competitive nature where you need to progress with which, which it's you can do for the rest of your life and yeah you exactly. get more to the best, but, be the best. You know, no, there's no, and there's no pressure. You just go in and, and you're just training and you're learning techniques and you're learning self-defense. And if that's what, you know, if you're a hobbyist, then that's, you know, it's amazing. You know, if you want to take it to another level and compete, then fantastic. And you learn a whole new perspective about yourself in that regard. But it's not expected of you, I suppose. Whereas team sports or bodybuilding or, um, any other sports there is a level of, of expectation where you need to be at this point or at this point or which can kind of take the mental clarity away from it whereas I've, I, it's never happened for me in that sport as well it's always been an escapism for me um, looking forward to it now. you know oh yeah you keep me up to date now and I'm all that goes uh, what's the what's the plan for Onshi and the brand Onshi and Country Munch and the, sorry actually before we kind of get the, the final let's say vision what you were talking about in the pandemic, you were you know, supplying football teams. What is Country Munch supplying at the minute? Like, what are you in, like, what's the whole brand supplying? Um, we've, we've kind of made a shift organically to sports catering over the last year and a half. Um, we always would have been feeding athletes. I think our main demographic was always, um, it was always busy working class with, you know, the odd few domestic orders where a lot of them were true gyms. So they were kind of high performing athletes. And we got a few, you know, small contracts in with the likes of um, just doing once off meal prep for GA players, with limited GA footballers. And that went well. And then we, we kind of got a foot in the door there. So now at the moment, I suppose predominantly where we, I would, I would brand this as kind of sports catering. So we, we do post training meals for the likes of uh, Limerick Senior Football, Limerick Under 20s, Limerick Minors, Munster Senior Women, Munster Under 18s Women, all the youth um, camps during the summer for Munster Rugby. So like a huge volume of food on business for us is on those contracts. But we're still, you know, we're still 
um, doing domestic orders to houses, to home deliveries in Limerick. We send meals every weekend to homeless shelters in Limerick and Ennis and, mm. you know, uh, catering bits and pieces for private functions. Um, mm. So, you know, I suppose like that, the the idea with everything is to be able, is to, be able to pivot, um, not, not forcefully. I think people can pivot too soon and, and, and like I said a while ago you, know, you think you're one thing and then you're not you think you're another thing you're not whereas this came very organically you know it took about three years for us to kind of establish who our main demographic was and from a business point of view I had to kind of really sit down and think about you know where where a source of income coming from um, and what's more beneficial to us uh, a contract with a team for nine months of 40 players three nights a week or you know, trying selling meals door to door um, to your everyday gen po- general population. So, like, there's pros and cons to all of it. Um, but it's, I suppose, it's 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 finding where is the most efficient way to keep the business running, and then putting systems in place there. But yeah, at the moment, that's that's our main bread and butter, and it's what it's what's growing fastest for us, and it's what we're it's what we're good at. I think. Um, and it's been, it's at a case now where I can slowly kind of start. I went back in very much in COVID working in, I've always kind of explained or described that, you know, I'm either working in it or I'm working on it. And I didn't work on it much in those two years. You know, I worked in it and I just kept it running. Whereas now I'm starting to be able to step out and work on it a bit more and, and get more gigs, get more contracts, get more more volume through the doors. Um so it's in a really good place now. Um, Probably the reason why Limerick has done so well over the last couple of years, no? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that's, I'm claim, that's my claim to fame. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky, I suppose. I'm lucky now. We have the, number one, I have the, the, you know, I'm blessed to have good staff that can, you know, or run and manage stuff on the floor internally. And I can kind of manage around that. And it allows me to step back out to, number one, put work in, in, on the business, but also focus on my own brand in, which, is another, I suppose, the goal this year is to push it on again. When 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 you're absorbed in a business, you can't really work on anything. Um, and I haven't done much work on my own socials or my own brand the last year or so. They've been fine and they've been tipping over and, and had a great year. But I suppose you, you, you put a certain amount of pressure on yourself or expectation um, and a huge expectation, you know. So, what yeah, is the expectation? Uh, What's the goals for the next five years? So, or is there any particular things? Um, I, I'm not. I don't put anything verbally out there that this is where I want to be in five years' time. Because five years ago, you know, I couldn't imagine where we are now. Five years ago, I'm sure I would have given a completely different answer. So, so long as we're being kind of proactive and pushing the boat onwards, and we're growing, I'm very happy to go with that. Um, I like for myself, it's it's the very much, you know, and I've I've been saying this since long before I had a business was to have a pretty good uh, footprint in the Irish food media you know with that comes I, I would have always said you know TV sh- I want TV shows I want my own or show but to be honest with you in three years time an online show could it was probably more is more beneficial than a TV show mm-hmm. um, if you look at like the the new age world we live in YouTube shows get probably 10 times more views than shows on RTE do 
not, not to bad my RT or, or just as an example of, of national television, I should say. Um, so, you know, it's it's progression in media and it's progression in brand and, and all things that come with that. But I'm very open to where that might be, um, whether that's online, whether it's on a national platform, um, whether there's a new app in two years' time. Of course, that's yeah, all it could be totally you know? different. We're going on about our TikTok famous now. Sure, it could be something I, else. It's put the words on my mouth. Two years ago, if we were having a conversation, we wouldn't have mentioned TikTok. Whereas now, it's probably would be the sole focus of my social media this year, just because of the 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 exponential growth you can get in a short space of time. I think any if any social creator should be putting an awful lot of work into their TikTok. Um, and, and it's very important then not to become reliant on an on an app. You know, I've I've always been quite lucky where if Instagram closed up doors tomorrow, I'd be fine. Like I have a a, a brick and mortar business per se that can run as you know, whereas a lot of people create a career off an Instagram page, a blog or or you know, just doing branded stuff. So you need to be very careful, you know, where you where you position yourself. Uh leverage them absolutely to the to the utmost, but you can't become comfortable in, in something that's so volatile, which is social media. So, yeah, I, I don't put any pressure on myself. Uh, and I never have. I and mean, everything has gone, everything has gone good for the last few years, you know, and I, and my job is to only, it's just to keep, keep pressing, keep the motion going forward, you not know, keep pushing forward and, and to not, not to get too complacent in, in the commodities that come with, you know, um, the pressure of having a startup now having a, a relatively stable business, the commodity of that can often allow you to take the foot off the gas a bit. Definitely. So it's my job now to not, you know, to to push on more, even more than anything yeah, else. Especially or, when you're as a, as a young young entrepreneur employing people as well. Like you know what I mean. You want to mm. push on and make sure that people have jobs rather than take the foot off the gas. Yeah. And you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So no, it's it's very exciting. It's like. Food space in general is is a very exciting world. Um, everyone needs to eat, and everyone loves watching cooking shows. So I'm blessed for in that regard, you know. And it's just wherever that show may be, whether it's TV, whether it's Netflix, whether it's YouTube, whether it's a different platform, who knows? But um, if uh, if the opportunity is there, I'll definitely be knocking on the door. Beautiful, on absolute pleasure. We can catch Thanks, you on the, what, what, we can catch you on the six o'clock show. We can catch you on TikTok, yeah. Instagram, everywhere. Yeah, I, I, there's no set days. Whenever, at the moment, we're recording some on TV tomorrow, but it'll be too late at this stage. So usually once a week, I'm on um, Virgin Media on 6 o'clock show. The best place to follow me is Instagram. You'll see all the updates there. The recipes are there, and the the general day-to-day stuff is announced there. So if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram. At my own name, Owen Sheehan. Um, if you're in the area of Limerick, you should try Country Munch. Go onto our website, countrymunch.com. You can order the meals and have them delivered to your doorstep or collect them in, in Fit 100. And yeah, if I can't physically feed you, I teach you to feed yourself. So go to the socials, cook a meal. And um, if you cook anything, make sure you tag me. That is just perfectly rhymed off, huh? Expert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a million. I look forward no, to seeing everything, everything you're involved in. Really, it, man. Continue success.